Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indie.rr.com. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I don't have any PowerPoint today whatsoever. I don't do this often, but occasionally I will, and this is that week. So you're going to have to do this old school and actually get out your phone. We're going real old school here and find your Bible app, right? Or if you're really super old school and there's nothing wrong with old school, all right, I like my paper Bible. Open your, your paper Bible up and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 18. Now, if that feels like deja vu all over again, that is because I preached out of Proverbs, chapter 18, last week. And I want to pick up this week, not with the same message or even a second part, but I, I, I believe God gave me, spoke to me another message this week that will start in that chapter. We're going to be in three places. We're going to be in Proverbs 18. We are going to be in Acts, chapter 2. And if God allows and time allows, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 before this is all said and done, and uh, we will see how far we get. So I suspect, and you guys, you guys work with me, talk with me here a little bit, I suspect if you walked up to the average Christian, American Christian today and said to them, how's the war going, what response would you get? How's the war going? just randomly walked up to a Christian on the street, man on the street, woman on the street, how's the war going? The average Christian, my best guess would be, their response would be something in relation to what's going on in Afghanistan right now. Not well, or not good, or something along that lines. If you push them a little bit and say, no, I'm not talking about that war, I'm not talking about what's going on in Afghanistan, as important as that is, for sure, I'm not talking about that. And you push them a little bit more. How do you think the war is going? You might get another location in the world, but probably at some point you would get the answer of, what are you talking about? What war? The average Christian in America would kind of fall there. Now, if you walked up to the average evangelical Christian, which we're a part of the evangelical uh, piece of Christianity, I suppose, I think that's fair to say, and you push them a little bit, you might get a little different answer. You might get something, might make the jump from physical to spiritual somewhere along the way, but I suspect then if you pushed them a little further and said, how's the war going? Um, what do you think about our wins in the war? They'd probably look at you at some point and say, what wins? Anybody here feel like we just aren't winning very much anymore? Am I the only one? Because it feels that way sometimes. Now, I don't believe that to be true, but it feels that way sometimes. Look at our country, look at our nation, look at our culture, look at our lives, look at the church in general. What wins? What wins? I think the average Christian probably would end up something like this. What? Wait, I'm part of an army? I'm part of an army? What? There's a war going on? I think we're very unaware of the reality that there is a war going on, and I'm not talking about Afghanistan. You guys like jingles? Anybody here ever get a jingle stuck in your head and you just can't get it out? Drives you absolutely crazy, especially the dumber they are, the crazier it gets. Let me give you a jingle, see if you can finish this one, okay? This, see if you can finish this. It goes like this. Be all that you can be. Totally out of tune, but just work with me here, okay? There's a reason they don't have me on the worship team. Be 
all that you can be in the army. You guys see? How many of you knew that? Let me see your hand. Put your hand up if you knew that. Most of you did, yeah. The army had adopted that. Be all that you can be in the army from 1980 to 2001. They had adopted that as their recruiting slogan. And, and marketing experts say that, that that slogan was actually probably uh, statistically one of the most, if not the most impactful, effective slogan ever used, not just in the army, but anywhere ever as far as marketing people go. Be all that you can be in the army. But in 2001, the army had an idea. We've had this around for 21 years, and we need something new. So they got rid of be all that you can be in the army, and they came up with a new slogan that was going to be the, the slogan of the, the, the next millennia, the slogan of the 21st century. And anybody know what it is? An army of one. Somebody did know it. How many of you knew that? Very many, a few, a couple, a couple knew that. An army of one. And the same marketing experts will tell you, at least the, the little bit of research I did will say it was probably the worst, most ineffective, uh, horrible slogan that was ever put out there by the army because most people don't know it and it didn't seem to inspire anybody to sign up. It was so bad that in 2006 they changed it, they went to Army Strong, and then 2018 it was Warriors Wanted, and then 2019 it's What's Your Warrior, and now they're in 2021 trying to find a new slogan, and actually seriously trying to figure out how to say, be all that you can be in 2021 without saying those exact words, because that was so effective. But what I want to stop this morning and talk about is this idea of an army of one. Can I tell you this morning, an army of one's not an effective army? Now, look, I, I understand some of, some of you that are, are literalists are going to say, Pastor Bray, that's not what they meant by that. They were not saying that we're just going to be an army of one. That's not what their point was. I know they were trying to say we're all in unity, and that's a good thing. That's a positive thing, but work with me here. An army of one, despite what Liam Neeson might teach us through his Taken series, <laughs> right? Or Bruce Willis, uh, Bruce Willis and, and his, uh, what, what was it, the, the Die Hard series? Or uh, the, the new one that's out, or that's been out for a while, um, is, it the is it the Enforcer? Who's, who's the star in that? This isn't a setup, I'm seriously asking. Who, who plays in that? Is it the Enforcer? Ah, see, I should have Googled it. That one came to me on the way to church this morning, and I didn't Google it when I got here. Anyway, despite what Hollywood tells you, an army of one is not really a very effective army, is it? An army of one is not really a very effective army. Proverbs 18.1 says, now listen to this, I, I, I really am going somewhere with this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Whoever isolates himself, whoever makes himself alone, whoever puts himself in a room or a box or, or walls around him, whoever chooses to operate at, like Liam Neeson or Bruce Willis or whoever that other guy is that I can't remember his name right now. Uh, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. And remember I told you last week, Proverbs is one of those books when you read through chapters, you get threads that run through chapters. And as you begin to look, you see, okay, I see how this connects to this. And this is one of those threads that runs through Proverbs 18. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire because the one who wrote Proverbs in verse 12 goes on with that, explains that, enlighten us on that. He says, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. In other words, the 
person that chooses to live their life alone, chooses to live their life separate, chooses to live their life with nobody else in it, is a person that seeks his own desire. And perhaps it's because he's a person who feels like, you know what, I'm strong enough, big enough, smart enough, good enough. I don't need anybody else. Does that sound arrogant to anybody in this room? Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. But humility comes before honor. An army of one is not a powerful, strong army. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Now, why would it be that a person who puts themselves in a box or in a room or puts walls around themselves, why would it be the person that isolates himself and seeks his own desire? Why would it be that he breaks out against all sound judgment? Why would it be that when I separate myself from everybody else and make myself alone, I isolate myself, I find myself making poor choices? Why would that be? Can I tell you this morning, and you guys, you, you guys, I suspect, have lived this life as well, the most agreeable conversations I've ever had in my entire life have been with myself. I very rarely contradict myself. Now, there are times I will, but I rarely contradict myself. I don't often disagree with myself. I usually don't chastise myself. Most of the time, I think I'm pretty smart. Is that anybody else in this room? Come on now. Okay, let me change sermon direction and go to liars. <laughs> Don't we all live that life to some degree? I mean, right? I mean, doesn't it just make sense? I'm not likely to argue a point if I don't think the point's right. Fair? I mean, there are those few people in the world that will argue a point just for the sake of argument. They live, they live to argue, and it doesn't really matter whether you take left or right. If you take right, they'll take left. It doesn't matter. Right and wrong has nothing to do with it. They just like the, the, the challenge of arguing, right? There are those people. But apart from that group of people in this world, isn't it the truth that most of the time if we're going to argue a point or take a stand, it's because we believe it to be right? And if I'm isolating myself and i got nobody to push back upon me, I'm liable to break out without sound judgment. And the very next verse tells us that. The next verse, verse 2, says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Looking for those threads, verse 15 says, An intelligent heart, an intelligent heart, acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Can I just point something out to you there? An intelligent, it doesn't, notice this, it doesn't say an intelligent mind, it says an intelligent heart, doesn't it? An intelligent heart seeks knowledge. You're more than just your brain. Now, I am, and I think you guys know this about me, I'm a firm believer that God's people ought to use their brain. We ought to use our mind. We, we don't need to disconnect from it. But thank God we are more than our mind. And we need to know not just here, but here. How to think, what to feel, what to do. Amen? And the only way that really happens, the only way we can be that army that is a strong army is not to be that army that's isolated, that soldier, that person that's isolated in a wall, in a room that argues with himself and debates himself and persuades himself, but rather be able to go out and have a conversation with people that have different experiences, different histories, different understandings about how to live, how to think, how to feel, how to act because it makes you stronger. You guys familiar with that passage in, in the Old Testament? It's iron that sharpens iron. You ever take, take, take two pieces of iron and rub them together? You do it hard enough and strong enough, you're going to get something. You know what it is? A spark. 
It's certainly heat. And you start rubbing iron against iron, and you're going to get some heat. And sometimes heat gets enough to where it's not uncomfortable. I went out yesterday. I, I was working on cutting up some logs, milling some logs, and I've got these long deck screws that I use to hold the board down that, um, that, that uh, helps me to, to cut a straight line with my chainsaw. And I put those in, and, and when I go and start putting them in, and then if I turn around and take it right back out, Joel, I'm going to tell you what, I learned something really fast. They get really hot, hot, hot enough that I want gloves on because they will burn you. When you put friction in a situation, whether it's me cutting wood or you disagreeing with a brother or sister, sometimes there's going to be friction and heat. But out of that friction and heat comes strength, growth, knowledge, right? Anybody here like to fight? That's a sincere question. Anybody here like to fight? Few of you. A few of you are pointing spouses. <laughs> Most people don't like friction and fire, and they'll avoid it at all costs. But you know what? Without that fire, you're never going to grow. That's why an army of one is not a strong army. It's not. Proverbs tells us that. He teaches us that. We need each other. And we need to be engaged with one another. And we need to be active with one another. And at times we need to challenge one another. And sometimes we need to push on one another. Can I say this? In times we need to tolerate one another. Right? Because we annoy one another. And some preachers will stand up here and tell you it should not be that way. You should never annoy anybody, but I'm not that preacher. Uh, you will annoy one another. And we need to be okay with that. Love covers a multitude of annoyances. That's my paraphrase, but you get the idea, right? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts 2. I'll give you a second to get there since I don't have them on the screen this morning. Acts chapter 2. We're going to go to the last portion of the chapter, Acts 2.42. Let me show you what the New Testament army looks like. The start of the church, not an army of one. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves, the church, the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And let me just make a couple of comments about that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching because they had no written word. You, you get that, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John hadn't written anything down at this point, or if they had, it wasn't in the form of a Bible. They, they couldn't run down to the local store or get on their phone and download the local edition of, of God's word free. I mean, they, so what they had were the apostles that had walked and lived with Jesus for three and a half years, and they devoted themselves to the teaching of those apostles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John had not written Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. James and Peter hadn't written down their hadn't written their letters yet, so they, but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because these guys had been with Jesus for three and a half years. They had been with Jesus, and they wanted to know about this author of life. They wanted to know about this man who had the power to die on a cross and then come back from the, the, the grave. They wanted to know what his teaching was. They wanted to know what his, 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 his ideas was. They wanted to know how to have eternal life. 
So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And I, I want you to notice this, okay? I, I had never noticed this before until I, I sat down and began to study this out and begin to look at some other translations. And this, this is a good reason why you need to have more than one translation of the Bible in your arsenal, if you will. If you look at the King James Version, if you look at the latest NI version, NIV Version, if you look at the NRSV, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. If you look at the ESV, it says it a little different, and it's not a big deal, but I want you to see this, and I think it matters. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Say, Pastor Bray, I, I don't get the difference. That it's only one word, and it's not a big word, the, and it can be interpreted either way, but I, I want you to think about this. There is a difference between being involved in fellowship and being involved in the fellowship. When I think of being involved in fellowship, you know what I think about? I think about having a bunch of guys, friends, people I get together with, I hang out with, we do some stuff together, we eat some hot wings together, we watch a little TV, maybe watch a little sports, we, we have a, a friendship, we do something, we play a little basketball. I think of being involved in, in, in fellowship, I, I think of coming in and sitting down in a, a, a meal like we used to have out back with a picnic, that, that's fellowship. When I think about being involved in the fellowship, that's a little bit more specific. That's a, you guys, anybody here J.R.R. Tolkien fans? Few, few of you are. Wrote the Lord of the Rings. How many of you have seen the Lord of the Rings series? Do, do you know one of his books and one of the series is called The Fellowship of the Ring? So, so if, you, if you're familiar with this, think about what the fellowship was there. It wasn't just a group of guys that got together to eat some hot wings. This was a group of men, this was a, a, a limited number, a group of men that said we are part of not a fellowship, we don't just fellowship together, we're a part of the fellowship who has a mission and has a direction and has a purpose and we're committing our lives to each other, our lives and our sacred honor and, and everything that we have, our wealth, we're committing it to one another to fulfill the mission. That's being part of the fellowship instead of just being part of fellowship. And I read that, and, 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 I, and, and again, it could be interpreted either way. Uh, that's just the way Greek works. But I, I, I like this idea. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They, they bound their hearts and their lives and their sacred honor together to fulfill the mission that Jesus had given them to. I believe God this morning, folks, is calling us to not be a part of just a fellowship or just fellowshipping together. What, what we're, we're seeing here as we look at this, not being an army of one, is we're supposed to commit ourselves to the fellowship. Right? The fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And I like that. Man, that makes me excited. I would love to be that church. All came upon every soul. I would love to see people want to show up at Souls Harbor and all fall upon this community because of what was going on in this church. How cool would that be? And many signs and wonders were, took place at the hands of the apostles. And we're told that those same signs, in fact, I, I read it before we prayed this morning, those same signs and wonders will follow all who believe according to Mark. But let me just point out a couple things that we need to be aware of as we look at that. The awe that fell upon the church, fell upon the church, we're told uh, a few chapters later because something had happened in the church. A man by the name of Barnabas came in and he had sold a piece of property and he had given it to care for the needy. And I'm, I'm going to get to that in a minute. But then another couple came in, a man by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. You guys familiar with this story? 
And they brought in a piece of, of, of money that they had gotten from selling a field. And, and they did something that wasn't that big a deal. In their mind, they lied. They came in and told Peter that we sold the field for, I'm going to throw out some numbers that just for the sake of talk, $5,000, when in fact they got ten. I don't know what the actual numbers were. It happens. They loved God. They loved one another. They were still a work in process, work in progress. Nobody was going to know. Nobody was going to be harmed because the $5,000 was going to help the needy, so it just it made them look good, but what's the big deal? Until Peter looked at Ananias and said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And those footsteps you hear coming behind you right now are the feet of those that are going to carry your dead body out of the church. You guys know this story. Sapphira's wife came in shortly after that and the same thing happened. And while I would love to see awe and, 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 and fear and, 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 and I think there's God, give us a hunger, but we better be aware of the level of holiness that God required at that point to bring that about. If, if you're praying for signs and wonders, listen to me this morning. If you're praying for signs and wonders and you're praying for it to impact people out there, that's wonderful. Make sure your heart's pure. Because if God happens to give you what you're praying for, coming along with that may be you standing before God and God saying you lied to the Holy Spirit unless your heart's really where it ought to be. You understand what I'm saying this morning? Awe fell upon the community as they became more than just an army of one and became the fellowship. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And some people teach from that statement right there, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They teach communism, socialism. They teach that the early church was a socialist, communist uh, kind of situation, not the whole political piece of it, but just in the sense that they all sold everything they had and they gathered it all together and said to the apostles, distribute it to the poor as you see fit and we'll all live on the same level. But then verse 45 says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And that makes me think it wasn't the other. It was rather they looked around and when there was a need, they took an offering. When there was a need, somebody stepped up and said, I can help with this. It wasn't that they all sold everything they had and said, let's just have this big commune. Rather, it was doing what you all are so generous and, 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 and great to do that when there is a need within the family, when there is a need within the fellowship and, and I can help, I'm going to go to my checking account or my savings account or do it online nowadays with easy tithe and I'm going to give to help with the need. It's not the same as saying I'm going to sell everything I got and, and put it in the care of a communal group. But that generous heart is a part of being a piece of the fellowship. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And let me just say this piece, this part here this morning, um, before we jump over to 1 Samuel, I, I see as I read this, two things were going on within the church 
Day by day, they attended the temple together corporately, and they at the same time broke bread in their homes, and there were prayers in their homes, and there was teaching in their homes, and that's why the, 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 the world, the church world, has moved back to not only having corporate worship, but having what we call, our, our 21st century term is that small group mindset, because there is something incredible about being able to come together corporately like we do on Sunday morning and like they did on the, on, on, in the temple on, on their Sabbath on Saturday, and cor- there's energy in corporately coming together and praising and worshiping God and, and sharing in, 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 in each other's lives and praying for, there's something powerful about that corporate piece of being a piece of the fellowship, and we need that, folks. If you walk away this morning with no other encouragement, let it be that, that commit yourself to the corporate worship of the body of Christ because it's in that that there is a zeal. It's in that that there is an excitement. It's in that that there is a power. There's something that happens corporately that doesn't happen in that home small group setting. And we we may at some point, I, I continue to wrestle with, do we have one bigger service or do we continue with two smaller services? And I look around this week and it's like, I, I kind of, you know, this is kind of nice. There's a few empty chairs that I'd love to see God fill and, and, and it gives us room for growth. But then we have those weeks where there's like, you know, there's 10 of you here and you all sit in that back corner or this front corner or somewhere and, and, and Cheryl's up here and and leading in worship, and the, and the energy's just not there, is it, Cheryl? It's just not there, and, and, and so I continue, and we may yet go back to single, a single corporate worship service at some point. I don't know. We just continue to hear from God and try to wait on Him and pray, but here's the other piece of that that I want to say this morning, and I, ha- I want you to notice I haven't forgot this. I haven't forgot this, and that's the small group piece where we get together, be it here on a Wednesday or in a home, and, and looking at both options, and we sit down and we talk about God's stuff across the table. Used to be eating strawberries and Little Caesars. Depending on which group, in here it was a Little Caesars group in the Cove on our Wednesday night small groups. It was uh, more the home cooking group, right? If you wanted to eat home cooking, that's where you went. And if you wanted to eat Little Caesars, and, and it, I mean, we always had variety, but but sit down and talk about God's stuff and pray for one another. Listen to me. We need to be both. Or we will be an army of one. Let me encourage you this morning. Be a part of that corporate worship and to the extent this church is able to do it or do it on your own. Shelly, it's always drove me crazy, and I say Shelly because Shelly spent a lot of years in the office, a lot of years here in the office as, as, as the office admin. There is a mindset in the church that anything that gets done in the church has got to be directed by the pastor, and it's got to be on the calendar, and it's got to be official, and it's got to be organized. And there's some value to that. But you know what else there is value to? There's value to Amber saying to Braden. Braden, go call Jeremiah, and let's go see if Jeremiah and Kim might want to go have some pizza, and let's hang out together and do something. And, and you don't need to call Pastor Barry to make sure it's on the calendar. Right? 
There, there, there's, there's value in Bill and Jan finding out that somebody's sick and in the hospital and, and, and somebody that they know and they're friends with and, and, and Bill saying to Jan, Jan, why don't you give them a call and just let them know we're praying for them and thinking about them and they're important to us. Anything we can do, let us help. And, and you don't have to call Pastor Barry and make sure that it's on the calendar. You understand what I'm saying? There, there's value to both. And, and, and the small groups that we try to put in place and, and we're working on, I promise you that, I, I'm, but we got to do it right. There's value in that, but there's also value in Dennis just having a friend that he reaches out to every now and then and says, hey, let's go have lunch. And you don't need to ask Pastor Barry. Because an army of one Unless you're Liam Neeson or Bruce Willis and you're financed by Hollywood, it's going to be a very weak, scary, ineffective, sick, miserable army. And that this morning is not what God has called us to be. And we're not going to 1 Samuel because I'm out of time and that right there is a really good place to stop. So maybe I'll preach 1 Samuel next week, maybe. But here's what I'd like to do. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? Cheryl, come and place something really super spiritual in the best sort of way. I don't mean that like super spiritual, like negative, but just something spiritual so I can pray. And, but here's, First Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath and the army of God and the army of the Philistines stood and looked across the valley at each other. And they saw each other. You know what our problem today is? The army of God is standing on this side and we're looking across the valley and we don't even see an army over there. We, we miss the reality that there is an army over there because it's a spiritual army. And we're not prepared for battle. And what I'm asking you this morning, if you're like me and your personality is like mine, you're very comfortable in a cave with just one or two other people occasionally and you don't need people around you and you don't need a lot of interaction and conversation and I can go the whole day in my house, just me and the dog, and I don't even need the dog and, and, and feel pretty fulfilled at the end of the day. If you're like me, then I'm asking you this morning, push back against that personality and make sure that you engage with other people because an army of one doesn't work very well. I'm asking you this morning, God is raising up an army because I'm telling you, if you'll look with me across the valley, there is an enemy over there. There is an enemy over there, and he's winning. Too often, he's winning. And I'm asking you this morning, commit yourself to corporate worship. Commit yourself to praying for the church services. The first time you think about Sunday morning services, when you walk into Sunday morning service, then it's way too late. Pray for our Sunday morning services throughout the week. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be big. Jesus, will you move this Sunday? Just think about it and pray over it. I'm asking you. I'm asking you to help us to grow as the army of the Lord, which is what we are this morning, to look across the valley and see the enemy. I'm asking you. I'm asking you to connect with people and care for those in the fellowship with you. And as we launch small groups here in the future, be a part of them. Step into them knowing that it's more than just going out with the guys and hanging out and eating wings and pizza. It's joining the fellowship. Not just this big fellowship, but that the fellowship, that small group. 
where you live life together and you care for one another and you pray for one another and you talk about God stuff together and eat some hot wings along the way because that is okay. God blesses that, right? Because that's how God grows a great army. And I'm going to tell you, if there's ever been a day when America needs within the church an army, it's today. But we all have to start with ourselves. God, work in me. Let me pray over you this morning. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for every man and woman standing here today. And I'm so grateful and thankful as a pastor of the flock and the the families, the individuals that you've allowed me to lead. And I pray this morning, God, raise up within us the spirit of a warrior, the heart of a warrior. Raise up within us, Lord, the heart of an army, the army of the Lord. God, grow us. Grow us together. Grow us to battle. Grow us, Lord, to take back that which is yours. Father, I ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. God bless. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.